Oisin McConville, the former Armagh footballer, um, who's had problems with gambling and is now actually a gambling counsellor. Um, Oisin, was there a moment when you think that you moved from having fun gambling to becoming an addict? Yeah, well, even though I didn't know it at the time, I suppose the, f- the first day I, I placed that, you know, that was me. I fell in love with gambling, started a relationship with gambling at 14 years of age, that relationship that I completely controlled to begin with. Uh, so I decided when I bet, where I bet, and who I bet with, how much I bet. Um, and it soon controlled me. Within three, four years, I was begging, borrowing, stealing, and all we get the money to have that bet. And... Really, you know, again, the vivid images we see on, on television of people who are strung out in drugs and people, some people don't understand, you know, the draw of gambling. And for me, uh, you know, I suppose the best way I can describe it is that, you know, when I was, you know, when you consider me, you know, in relation to, say, a heroin addict, their hit is, is a hit of heroin. My hit was to get a bet on, and I, I've done anything to get that money. So really, for me, it was a, it was a, a, a gradual yet steady progression into, into um, serious compulsive gamble. And what was your lowest point, would you say? Well, there was lots of low points, and there was a lot of, po- a lot of points where, uh, and you'll hear this probably from a lot of people in the section, where um, you know, I, there would have been a lot of false dawns where I said to myself, that's it. You know, things are going to change now. It's not going to happen. Yes, within 20 minutes, I could find myself, you know, trying to get money from whatever source I could get it for to get that next bet on. Because the fantasy world that I was living in was that, you know, I felt I was only ever one bet away from sorting out all my problems. When I talk about problems, everybody thinks immediately of financial problems. It wasn't just my financial problems. It was the problems that this was causing me emotionally and the isolation as a result of, you know, uh, you know, thinking about gambling, thinking about my addiction every waking hour, first thing I thought about in the morning, last thing I thought about at night, you know, it was months we go, you know, we, we wouldn't sleep because of the fact that not only did you feel, you know, when you're awake that you had to bet, but also because there were so many people after me at that stage, you know, for money. I mean, I was, you know, every ladder to come in through the door, I would stick in the bin. So I wasn't living in reality. I wasn't living in the same world that everybody else was. And as a result of that, you know, I just, my life was absolutely consumed with this addiction. And Oshin, why do you think um, you had that addiction? When I think of the joy and the gift for footballing that you had and the pleasure you gave to people with such a talent... Why was there some need there then that was being filled by gambling? Well, I suppose one of the things about uh, about about my gambling was that, you know, when I was growing up in a small village in South Armagh, I felt really comfortable on a football pitch. And from 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age, I was doing things on a football pitch that not a lot of fellas my age were doing. I'm going to say that, I mean, you know, I was constantly in the field, constantly practicing. didn't matter what age group was there, I was there. 14 years of age, that changed for me. I felt as comfortable in the boogies as I did in the football field. I felt as if I wasn't good enough education academically. um, And I wanted to throw myself into something. And and that was the one thing that threw myself into. I mean, for alcohol, for me, I suppose, um, you know, when you're trying to perform at the highest level, uh, it's probably a no-no. Obviously, drugs are out. And people always see gambling as that... The, you know, that past time where, you know, obviously it's not going to... Uh, the first thing is that people feel it's not going to uh, affect you physically. And that's, you know, for a lot of people in sport, that's the most important thing. So that was probably it for me. You know, I, I, you know, I needed to 
to uh, throw myself into something and forget about the, you know the world that I was living in because I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy living in that world. And you know, I was I was running around you know a lot of my adolescent life with with a mask on. You know, if I met you in the street, you know, I'd be that happy. I'd pretend I was that happy that I'd almost give you a high five walking in the street. Yet behind that mask, there was a lot of different stuff going on, and I was absolutely not only eaten up with you know, emotionally, but eaten up by this addiction. And, and, you know, that was I was feeding into that and it was feeding into me. So how did it end? Well, it ended with a, a rather large bet on, uh, um, you know, the day before my 30th birthday. Um, and when I had that bet, it was beaten. Again, it was a large bet because I wanted to, uh, you know, sort out all those problems, you know, financially try and sort things out. Because, again, I was living in that fantasy world where I thought, one bet, I'll sort out all the debts, I'll come clean, I'll get help, and I'll move on. Because for the last four years of my gambling, truly, I didn't want to gamble. I just was in addiction and I felt as if I had to. I mean, it was such a relief. I, you know, when I went playing football, whenever I went training or um, to a match, it was such a relief because I knew for those two or three hours I wouldn't be able to gamble. And that's the way it was for me, you know, towards the end. Uh, you know, I broke down at home, um, you know, I, I, if you can imagine somebody trying to keep, you know, those plates spinning in the air, and I'd done that for 16 years, and eventually I just thought, you know, I can't do this anymore. And then the whole thing came crashing down. I started to, you know, realize, you know, financially this, the, the situation I was in. If you can imagine, you know, the things that it took for me, okay, so financially bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, self-respect, self-esteem, integrity, friendships, relationships, family. You know, it strips you of all those things, and 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 it had done that to me. I went uh, at that stage and, and did three months in uh, in Sister Concilios in Galway, and and started to learn a little bit about addiction. Started to walk on myself. Started to open up because I'd never opened up. I'd never talked to people. Um, you know, I was very shut off. Yeah, I could hold a conversation with you, but it was always about material things. It was never about emotions or anything. Now, I read that the you used to go into a local bookie's office and at one point they did try to speak to you. They were actually worried about you, but you yeah. avoided them by just simply driving to offices further away. Now, <laughs> given, given that kind of strategy that you were able to do and that would be much easier to do even online now, what kind of regulation or oversight do you think could be put in place to protect gamblers? Well, you know what, this is a very, very difficult one. Um, you know, one of the things that that local bookmaker, because he knew me, obviously, um, you know, one of the things he said to me was, you know, you could, you could have a problem with this, and how right was he? But you know, my reaction to that was to move on to the next book. And one of the things uh, that bookies have done over the last, I can't think of the company, maybe Gamble Aware or somebody like that. You know, what they've done is they've trained up staff within within shops that if they see problem gambling that they'd be able to go and say, but that's a very difficult thing for, for a young person who's walking behind the counter. That's a very big onus on them. I mean, they've been in to do a day's work. Why would they want to bring that, you know, that sort of strife on themselves? And I think that's one thing that, you know, that probably isn't going to work. What? The thing I see with the betting patterns and the way people gamble now, I think one of the things you can see is that there's a certain pattern of the way people gamble online. That There should be a paper trail, a money trail. It should be very easily recognized, and I think as soon as it is, because the majority of the people that I see now have got into bother to uh, gambling online. And, uh, you know, as I say, there's a very clear pattern now, and I think, you know, when that pattern starts to develop, 
that we that we're able to strike on that. And there there is that, you know, there's obviously you know that traceability factor, but there's all, uh, there's also an onus on bookmakers, you know, in that situation. We can't leave all of this at the door of the bookmaker. I, I do understand. I do understand that. But there's certain aspects like that, like that. You know, I've heard of families. You know, I know of families who have had a, get a house gamble from around them, and they don't know else about it because it is so secretive. And that's the other side of online gambling is that it's so secretive. So, especially online, I think you know, as soon as uh, as that irregular betting pattern comes, or somebody's chasing money continuously, that that red flag is raised and raised very, very quickly, and 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 you know, and is brought to the attention of that of that individual. Okay, Oshin McConville, thanks a million for talking to us this morning. Really appreciate uh, thank it. You.